Uh, but we're so glad you're here today as we wrap up this series called Subtract. Uh, we're in Philippians today, another one of Paul's writings, uh, and Paul is speaking to a group of people who are facing a lot of external struggle and pressure, and so this is an encouragement from Paul to these people hearing this uh, or experiencing this external pressure. And this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, uh, the first four verses. He says this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Today is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday uh, reminds us, as Josh prayed, that that 2,000 years ago, after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, uh, he sent, as he promised, the advocate. He sent the helper. He sent his spirit to be with the church, to give birth to this community that we're now a part of. And so we celebrate that and recognize that with Christians all over the world today, the the fire of the spirit, the wind of the spirit, the, the wisdom of the spirit being in this place and in each one of our hearts. And so as we call that to mind today, as we center ourselves, as I look out and see many of you wearing red and observation of this holy day, uh, we're going to hear from Psalm 104 uh, as our prayer today. So would you pray with me? O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed, and when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. But when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May the meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Uh, friends, I would give you opportunity to sign in again or to, ch- to check in. There's a, a QR code if you want to do that, uh, just to let us know that you are here, and I'm so glad that each one of you are here. And while you're doing that, I just want to kind of share a little bit about uh, my past. Uh, as we talk about Pentecost, all I could think about was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life not that long ago. Uh, well, it was pretty long ago, but it feels like yesterday because it was so embarrassing. Uh, I was dating a Pentecostal person, uh, and she invited me to church, and it was different uh, than I had ever experienced church in my life. Uh, I see some cheers for Pentecostals. I, they are actually kind of our uh, spiritual and religious cousins. These are like the spirit uh, enlivened John Wesley as we celebrated uh, his own conversion last week, uh, and the, the gifts are still present, and so we're, we're connected in that way. But Pentecostalism as a church movement, as they worship, as many of you know, speak in tongues, are slain in the spirit, or have these uh, kind of ecstatic experiences in worship, which we all wish for and long for and pray for, but it's kind of a regular thing and expect 
expected thing in the Pentecostal movement. So I went to church with this uh, person, and uh, she w- it was so inviting and so lovely, and it was in the country in Arkansas. And I went, and the music was beautiful, and we sang forever, uh, and the person preached forever. <laughs> and it went on and on, and I was like, wow, this is like four times as long as my little Methodist church. Uh, and it was exciting, and also it was like, I gotta endure it for this girl, you know? Uh, and worship ended, and I was kind of in the mix of it and in the middle of it, and we all started to circle up, and the person I was dating, and then actually a couple of other people I knew, they, they were moving around me, and they all had their hands like this. Uh, I knew, or I know now, that it was to grab hands for us to circle up and pray, but I guess it was the spirit, or my own childishness or uh, excitement or whatever else, I thought they were trying to get fives from me. And so it got really quiet. We were about to pray, and I screamed, pow, and <laughs> smacked both of their hands. Though I, I think probably because it was a Pentecostal service, that, that tongue that came out uh, was actually not that wild to begin with. Uh, so, uh, you know, pow in the spirit. Uh, so embarrassing. It obviously didn't work out, uh, uh, but I say all that to say that even in the middle of that, even if it being different than how I worshiped, even if some of the things the pastor said were very different than things that my pastor said, even if there were things that made me uncomfortable, even if it was, in my estimation, a little bit too long, I still felt at home and welcomed and warm in that moment, and it's, it's a thing I look back on, not just the embarrassing moment, but the feeling I had of difference and connection, otherness, and maybe even disagreement, but wholeness and oneness. And we see this all over the New Testament, that Jesus' expectation when praying to God in John's gospel, his expectation is that, that the people that follow him be one as he and the Father and the Spirit are one. And then all over Paul's writings in the New Testament, Talking to people who follow this Jesus person, is his longing, his expectation is that these people are one together. And we're in, in an entirely different situation. We're not facing the external pressure, say the Philippians are in this text today, or any of the first Christians. They're not facing this persecution or whatever external pressure. Uh, we're not experiencing that at all. But one thing we, we are experiencing, I think we could all agree and point to uh, examples of it, is what we hear about all the time is how our culture and our society and our country and maybe even our city and our state and even in the church is divided. And usually the attitude or the posture people have when talking about that is exhaustion, like I'm so tired of everyone being so divided, or frustration and anger, like we wouldn't be so divided, this is my personal posture, we wouldn't be so divided if everyone just thought like I did. Our posture, maybe even grief, uh, because it's wrecked a relationship or made you feel or look at or experience another person in a certain way. And the hardest part for me, and I include myself in this, surely, uh, is that Christians are the worst about it. (laughs) So like in all the world, these people that are told by the one that they worship and follow, my expectation and my hope for you is that you are one, are not one. Uh, and they continue to be less one than they were before as the days go on. And so if that were a hope or an expectation, did Jesus fail? 
Uh, is that something we can expect in the future, a oneness that we don't experience now? And above and beyond po politics that we'll talk about today, is there some sort of oneness that we can latch onto and hold onto that's more than our personal persuasion or how we vote? That's uh, this oneness that I experienced at uh, this Pentecostal church and the oneness that Jesus talks about and the oneness that we hope for and expect in the future being people that follow Jesus isn't what we experience today. Uh, Brene Brown, who I mention again, if you're listening, 11 o'clock, 3471 Westheimer, one day she'll come. If any of you know her, uh, reach out. Uh, she says this, uh, she was talking to a group of people, and she asked them to raise their hand. Uh, if any of them had had a broken relationship, uh, this was during the, actually the 2016-2017 election cycle, uh, if any of them had had a relationship fall apart uh, because of politics. And she said, I want you to raise your hands just so you can see that you're not alone. And like nearly everyone in the room raised their hand that yes, they'd had a relationship fall apart because of politics. Uh, and then she said how many of you are willing to just forsake that relationship forever because of politics? And nearly all the hands went down, but a few didn't go down. Uh, you look at the survey, Pew has been doing the survey through election cycles for decades, and Pew asked the same, one of these same questions every election cycle, and one of them is, um, uh, do you think that if the other side were to win, whatever side you happen to be on, if the other side were to win, that they would do irreparable damage to the country? Uh, you can imagine, as the decades have gone on, that number has gone up exponentially. And uh, just to say it out loud, my, my goal today is not to explore the veracity of that statement, because I think we could come to a conclusion, maybe, some of us, if we divide ourselves politically in the room, which I'm not going to ask you to do today, <laughs> uh, that you might even say that yourself, or have some measure of that, like, yeah, th that we would do irreparable damage if the other person were to win. Uh, but I do want you to do one thing is you don't have to raise your hand, I don't wanna ask you to do that because I know uh, many of you in the room and we are politically different and ideologically different, uh, to call to mind a person uh, that you do have a broken relationship with over things like this, over how you vote or who you give money to, your political persuasion. I, I don't just have one, I have a few. <laughs> I have. Uh, so many people for whom they are the reason that I want to avoid social media. <laughs> uh, I have so many people uh, that I think about that is like, wow, I've known you since childhood, and you're a jerk as an adult because <laughs> uh, you don't think like me or vote like me. And when, before we get to Philippians, I just want to say, I want to say it out loud, that, that I hope and I pray that you're all political people. And what I mean by that is not necessarily partisan people, but if it's people, it's politics. That's what, that's what politics is, is, is lowercase p, it's dealing with people, how we live together, how we covenant together to live in a better and just society. And maybe the, the what, the, like, we all want good for everyone. I think everybody at the, at the baseline would say we want good for everyone. The how is where there's tension. And I hope that you dig into the how and that you're knowledgeable and educated about the how and that you argue and, and debate about the how and that you struggle through the how, but, but, but maybe there's a better way, if we're all to be one, if we live in a city and we're all politically different, how we get to that one, how we get to that unity, how we get to that oneness is the hardest part, because we want it our way. Uh, 
the Philippians are asking a similar but also different question. Like I said, they're, they're weathering external pressure and external hurt, and, and they're trying to figure out how they can weather that together because they're this new minority religious group that they're not really liked by their ancestors in the Jewish community, and they're really not liked by the, their oppressors and the people they live with in the Greco-Roman world. And so, like, how do, we, how do we weather this together? Nobody really likes us. What do we do? And Paul's hope, his answer, his expectation is if a big if, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, so if Christ can do anything to this situation, any consolation, if you can be comforted by this at all from love, any sharing in the spirit as we celebrate today in Pentecost, any compassion and sympathy, if we can achieve any of those dispositions or postures, make my joy complete, Paul says, and this is the, the practical piece, the imperative, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, that is doing the same things because you agree in heart and in mind. And he describes it, okay, how do we, how do we get there? What sorts of loves and, and what sorts of things do we think that we can do together? The baseline for him is do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't do anything for yourself, but put the needs of others before your own needs. And then the piece that we didn't read today, and we've read it several times at Branches actually, is this hymn, this early hymn of the church that describes what Christ's mind was like if we're to adopt it. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, that is divine, uh, that had uh, every power imaginable at his fingertips, and also could be choosy about who he loved but chose to love everyone, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, to hold it over others, but emptied himself poured himself out, put the needs of others before his own, though he was God, taking on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He chose humiliation over subjugation. He chose giving of himself rather than sacrificing others and relationships with others. He chose putting himself on the line rather than putting his connection to humanity on the line. And by that means, by his sacrifice, by his pouring himself out, that was the mind, that was the attitude, that was the posture that Jesus had and that Paul is offering for us to adopt. That's easier said than done. <laughs> because we so badly have this inclination to put our needs before others to maybe uh, implicitly ask the question, what's in it for me? Why can't they agree with me? Why can't we come to the same conclusion? Why aren't we on the same page? Again, if, if, if they just thought like me, if they would just do what I think is right, if they would just vote like me and that everything would be right. And that, that may be the case. Maybe that's true, hypothetically. But Jesus forsakes all that in his own life, in his own posture, and it's ab above and beyond American political politics and partisan politics. It's himself, his posture, his mind, his love, being in one accord, putting, putting the, the, the foundation, the root of love, of pouring oneself out as the standard, ordered for others. So if I can offer anything today, some encouragement, maybe some pieces of advice through the mind and the love and the accord, the actions of Jesus, it would be this. First, focus on the things that you can control. I hate to break it to you, you can't control your bigoted uncle <laughs> as much as you try. You can't change the mind of the person uh, that you so claim to love but post horrible things on Facebook. You can't control that. 
And even if you push and push and push, we actually find psychologically that the more they're, they're faced with things that they disagree with, they, don't, are, they, they aren't impacted by evidence that's contrary to their position, they double down. And I know that to be true because I do that. <laughs> People present me evidence contrary to my position, and I'm like, I gotta find something else that proves they're wrong. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, confirmation bias, we're so prone to that. Next, uh, this is a tough one. I almost wore a Hawaiian shirt today to like distract you from the hard things. <laughs> uh, is sometimes we're using the same vocabulary, but we have different dictionaries. When people talk about politics, and then they start uh, putting a Jesus veneer on the top of it, uh, when they talk about the kingdom or justice or mercy, and it sounds like Jesus, but under the surface it's not. And it doesn't have the same telos, it doesn't have the same goal, it doesn't have the same outcome, but it's like, ooh, this sounds like Jesus, but it's not. So be aware of that. Test the spirits, as Paul says. Test all things and hold fast to what is good. Three, uh, if you read the Bible and you're thinking about your political life, your own ideology, uh, and Jesus just happens to agree with everything you already believe, read again. <laughs> uh, go back. And in fact, try to read the Bible with somebody who you know maybe has a different position than you do. This is really difficult. I will say, though, I want to make one little caveat, uh, that if, if you read the Bible and you're like, you know, I don't think God really cares about the poor and the oppressed, um, circle back. <laughs> you lost the plot. Uh, and I think people, if you want to divide it into left and right, uh, all want that ultimately, and the how is very different, and you want to come to a mutual understanding of how you want to get there, and even if you understand their position, that doesn't mean you affirm it or agree with it, but try to articulate it back to them, but we can begin there. Um, for uh, how you treat your opponent, or your enemy, if you want to put it that way, uh, in some measure says uh, what you think about how Jesus sees them, because that's really the ultimate goal. We want to become people of love. How does Jesus see others? Uh, again, Jesus loved you when he disagreed with you. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to swallow. And uh, we want to think that every position we already hold is right. But thank God for Facebook memories and time hop. Because I look back on things I posted on Facebook and I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> no, like no thoughtfulness or attention at all. And you change your mind. And it happens over time and you look at other people and you have compassion and, and kindness for them, not to be like, okay, if we just give it a little more time, they'll agree with me. That's not the point. The point is that you have a posture that Jesus has toward you, toward them. The miracle of, of Pentecost, uh, we hear the story that the Spirit came into this room and they had this ecstatic experience. And one of my favorite passages of the Bible is the charge from the outside was like, these people are drunk. And the response was not, no, we don't drink, it was, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we cannot be drunk. <laughs> uh, and what happened in that place is they're speaking all these different languages, and Willie Jennings reminds us that the miracle of Pentecost was not that they spoke different languages, but that they understood one another. That they were speaking, they were testifying to this one who had died for them and risen from the dead, and they were all pointing to him with the utterance of their mouth, and they could understand each other, and, and, and they understood one another in their own language. That was the miracle. Not that they spoke, that they babbled endlessly nonsense, but they, they spoke and they understood. And what a gift we have living in the city of Houston, that depending on how you count, there's some 400 different languages spoken. And even among that, there's generational language that's spoken differently, and there's religious language that's spoken differently, and there's neighborhood language, 
and there's sports team language, and there's parent and child language, and there's difference of how we speak, and, and the miracle is that God came to us in a spirit and gave us the ability to understand one another. And so again, the end goal, the telos, the place that we're pointing is not uh, to flatten out everything. It's like, oh, we actually all believe the same thing. Well, we know that's not true. But that we understand one another, that the spirit who translates our prayers on our behalf is the same spirit that can translate the wackiest, most abrasive, annoying person you know <laughs> for you to understand them and not agree with them or affirm them, but to see them and, and, and hear them and experience them as Jesus does. The way that I know this, the way that I can affirm this is I've heard people on both sides, if we want to just really simplify it and say there's only two sides, which there aren't, um, is someone would say, like, if, if they vote for so-and-so, they need Jesus. They can't possibly be a Christian. And I would say, yes, you're right. And then someone of the totally opposite persuasion would say, like, I can't, like, they're a Christian, and they say, I can't believe that person would vote for so-and-so. They need Jesus. And I would say, yes, <laughs> That if we can be unified in one thing, if we can subtract division, if there's one practical way we can do it, is we can come together on one single thing. If we can't agree on anything else, if we can't agree on who we vote for, or which party is better, or whatever else, and this is coming from somebody who deeply cares about politics and has deep political opinions, uh, and uh, has occasionally been a jerk on Facebook, <laughs> that people would say, it would take a miracle for me to, to love that person and to see them as a Christian. Well, thank God for Pentecost and the miracle of Pentecost, that God works miracles <laughs> to reconcile people of totally different cultures. I mean, we're so far beyond this first century Christianity where they were so different and they spoke different languages and they, they came from different places and certainly different political persuasions, uh, so far removed from our own pettiness in American politics. And if God can do that in Pentecost, God can do it now. And we pray for it and we long for it because we're tired of it. <laughs> and in Jesus we find comfort and in his spirit we find translation and understanding. Uh, I wanna land on this that I mentioned uh, the poor and the oppressed in our society and the, the people, the, this, the, the eye that God has for the poor and the oppressed as we read Matthew 5 or uh, any of Paul's letters when he's kind of giving these charges against these early churches that they're cutting out the orphans and widows. That there are some things we just do not compromise on. It's like, oh, I understand you and your prejudice and racism. Thanks, thanks be to God for the miracle of understanding a racist person. <laughs> uh, thanks be to God for a person who, you know, is, doesn't really care about the poor and the oppressed. You know, I, I understand them now, and that's the end goal. There are some things that, that, that we don't, you know, kind of smile and nod for. But there, there are some things that if we recognize the truth that um, God's kingdom is in America, God's uh, kingdom doesn't have political parties, that uh, Jesus is Lord, with this political statement, that innate in that statement is that Caesar isn't, that who we hitch our wagon to, uh, if it's political, uh, I hate to break it to you, is gonna die, <laughs> and their vision, whatever it was, will outlast them, and uh, actually the, the country that they uh, um, do politics in is, is not going to last forever, <laughs> and your own persuasion may change, but the, the radical thing that early Christians wanted to claim and experienced fully bodily in their mouths on Pentecost was that there was one, there was a life, there was a gospel, there was a 
good news, there was a king who would last forever, who's so beyond any vote you could ever cast, and understands and sees you and loves you despite your bad opinions, <laughs> despite your own lack of understanding, whatever that might be. But the God of miracles, the Holy Spirit, uh, can enliven us to see one another as he sees us. And so in our exhaustion, in our longing, in our division, in our broken relationships, we rest on, we lean on the one who reconciles all things, whose kingdom will last forever, who sees the poor and the oppressed as blessed, who lifts up the lowly, who came to us, though he was in the very form of God, took on the form of a slave and poured himself out for others, ones who would hate him and forsake him and betray him and speak ill of him centuries later and try to attach politi bad political opinions to him though they have nothing to do with them. And thanks be to God for that. And thank you uh, that I know, I'm looking out again, and I know I, I can see your faces, some of you, uh, I know deeply, deeply disagree. And what a witness we could be to the world to say, I despise your political opinion, even as strong as that. <laughs> but we have one, one vision in mind, one, one place we are pointing, and we're all uh, people in progress to be more and more a person of love like Jesus. And I would forsake all my politics if it meant for us to be in lockstep following him by the Spirit. Let's pray.